stood in the courtroom. The judge turned my way. It looks like you're guilty. Now what do you say? I spoke up, Your Honor. I have no but that's when mercy walked in. Mercy walked in and pleaded my case. Brought to the stand, God saving. Was presented that covered my sin, forgiven when mercy walked in. Oh, I stood there in wonder. How could this be someone so guilty had just been set free? My chains were broken, I felt born again. The moment that mercy walked in, mercy walked in and pleaded my case, brought to the stand, God saving grace, oh, the blood was presented that covered my sin, forgiven when mercy walked in. Oh yes, the blood was presented that covered my sin, forgiven when mercy walked Second grade and below, we've got Children's Church for you. Miss Rhonda Bigby will be teaching Children's Church this morning. She'll meet you at the back door or out there in the hallway. Second grade and below, kiddos. Got a couple more coming, Miss Rhonda. It's the floor. It's right there. There's a short right there. Well, if you have your Bible or something that open up your Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. 
Thank you, Vance, for blessing us with that song. I know it's hard to hear. I discovered during VBS we have a short right here in the floor where it connects. And it uh, doesn't matter how hard you push it up and get it loud, it's not going to work. Yeah, um, but because uh, when you wiggle with that insert into the floor jacket, it works suddenly. Well, if you were raised in the South like I was, then you probably heard at some point this statement. Respect your elders. That's right. And I don't know about you, but normally that was followed up with boy. Uh, I heard that a lot. Boy, you better or, or respect your elders, boy. And uh, <clears throat> I had two older brothers. One was six years older than me. The other one was nine years older than me. And boy, they would throw that at me all the time. And uh, I would always argue with them, but it doesn't matter because if I'd argue with them, they just beat me up. Of course, we know when it says respect your elders, that that, that idea there is that uh, we're supposed to pay respect and recognize the authority or respect the authority of those that are older than us. And in many cultures, not just American or not just Southern culture, they respect their elders. For instance, you probably know this, in Japan, the elderly are very respected there. They have an elder recognition day. You know, here in America, we have Grandparents' Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day. But there they have an elder day. Respect your elder day. And it uh, doesn't matter if they're a grandparent or not. They could not have any uh, kiddos or grandkids or whatnot. And uh, much homage is paid to them just because they've made it to over 65. And uh, so they, they get really blessed there in Japan. So, and there's other cultures like that. But in church, the title elder has nothing to do necessarily with age, although sometimes it does. In the scripture we're going to look at today, though, elder has to do with maturity uh, in the spiritual realm, spiritual growth, or perhaps a calling, a special calling from God on someone's life. An elder is all about God's calling on an individual's life. And in fact, often in the Bible when you see the word elder, what they're really addressing is someone who is a pastor, a pastor in the local church. In our scripture this morning, we're shifting focus from the call of God to live righteously in spite of suffering on all of the church to the call of God on individuals to lead His people, to lead His church, His sheep, in spite of suffering. Because suffering for the name of Jesus is not only a, uh, not just an excuse to not stop serving. Boy, I said that wrong. All the English teachers probably cringe when they hear me speak. I just jack up the English language so bad sometimes. Suffering is not an excuse to stop serving the Lord faithfully, nor is it an excuse to not surrender to His call to be a leader in His church, to serve in that capacity. Suffering instead, for the name of Jesus, instead of it being an excuse, really should be a kindling to the fire that burns within us to serve Jesus Christ. That's you know, really kind of the underlying message of 1 Peter. Suffering is never an excuse to stop. It is kindling to grow that fire and grow that fire. Well, let's look at our scripture. We're going to be looking at chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verses 1 through the first part of verse 5. Verses 1 through the first part of verse 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us clear understanding of what your scripture is saying to us this morning. Lord, your Bible tells us that you are present in this place. You are omnipresent. You are always present. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually, grow us from the inside out. Let us not leave this place the same way we came in. And Lord, Perhaps we read a scripture like this and say, how does this apply to me? Father, help us to understand our calling into the local church is to be active, is to lead, and is to follow leadership. Father, we pray that you would, man, you would just impact me, us, all of us this morning. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus, amen. And and so since this scripture is talking about a particular job in the local church, the job of elder, the top job of shepherd, I want to kind of approach this from the view of a job description. Any of you ever had a job where they handed you a job description describing to you what the particulars of that job were? You'll understand where I'm coming from uh, this morning. Consider some of what is on that job description when you look at that job description for whatever job it is that you hold. And this is going to help us in understanding what it means to lead in the church of Jesus Christ. The first part of job description usually is what? The title. The title of the job. In this particular scripture, Peter uses four terms that have to do with God's calling for particular leadership in the local church. He uses the word elder. He uses the word witness. He uses the word partaker. And he uses the word shepherd. And really these are all interlinked. But I want to pause a moment and just make sure you you noticed the, the title, witness and partaker, he actually is just applying to himself. But duly noted, anyone who leads in the local church and really in the church itself are called to these things. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now you and I are not eyewitnesses of the sufferings of Christ, but we are eyewitnesses, or I guess you could say ear witnesses of what we have read and heart witnesses of what we believe that Christ went through because of what God's Word tells us. And he says that he is a partaker, he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. If you remember, since the beginning of 1 Peter, since we've been going through this book, I've said this is a book of hope, a book of giving the believers hope in the face of persecution. And while we may not face the same kind of persecution and the sufferings that the Christians in the first century faced, In 2018, surely we can put our finger on some types of sufferings that we've gone through in our life. And I've pointed out, every time we say no to the temptation to sin, there is a type of spiritual and even physical suffering that we go through. And so we are a witness to that. But in the midst of that, we are a partaker of the glory that is to come. That is, we live not for the hope of the present, but we live in the hope that is to come. Hope is faith in the future, not faith in right now. Because if we're putting our faith in right now, then we're going to have an empty faith. And so really, what is our faith in when we say that we have faith in God and faith in Jesus? We have faith in what is to come. That heaven will be much better than what we are experiencing here on earth. Because 
let's face it, if earth is the best that we will ever experience, there's not much to look forward to. And so we have hope in what is to come will be much, much better. In the English, we get this word witness from the Greek word maturos. Not trying to show off, but hopefully you hear the connection with another English word. The English word martyr. You see, in the first century, witnesses for Jesus Christ had become synonymous with martyr. To be a martyr. To be a martyr and to die for that faith in Jesus Christ. And so the idea behind this calling to lead in a church is to be a witness, to put your hope in the future. But really what we're going to focus on is these first and this last word in this job title, elder and shepherd. In the original Greek, the word shepherd is used as a verb. It's most likely or most usually an action word. It, it is dynamic. It's not a static word that just means this. It's an office though as well. And it anticipates the action of a shepherd. Most of us have probably read Psalm 23, talking about the wonderful shepherd that, uh, that doesn't leave me wanting, that leaves me beside still waters. That wonderful, wonderful shepherd. Well, here Peter is talking about the shepherd in the local church. The action of the shepherd is to be an, an overseer, to be a caretaker. One who feeds the flock or makes sure the flock is fed. Perhaps the Apostle Peter is thinking back to an interaction he had with Jesus. We'll, we'll study that when we get to John chapter 21, verse 15. On Sunday nights, we've been going through the Gospel of John, where Jesus tells Peter three times in different ways to tend to the sheep, to care for the sheep, to feed the lambs. And, and we're, we're, we're perhaps, perhaps Peter is thinking about that when he starts talking about the shepherding of the flock. So we're not going to talk about that because we're going to talk about that on a Sunday night. We'll not talk about that this morning. But Peter was, was understanding in this scripture that there, there was not to be a sole overseer or a sole shepherd of God's flock. In other words, the reason that when Peter addresses the elder, he says elders, you caught that hopefully when we were reading through verse 1, I exhort the elders among you, and that word elder also means overseer to to see over that flock so it's synonymous with shepherd? No, in many churches there are really more than one shepherd, more than one elder. There perhaps is a lead shepherd, a lead pastor, but here it's plural. We don't always recognize this office in the church as we should. Perhaps you know of someone in this church that has been somewhat of a shepherd to you. They're not uh, titled with the word pastor, but they've certainly cared for you, fed you in a spiritual way. Maybe you're thinking about a special Sunday school teacher that has looked over your spiritual life through the years. Uh, so we don't always recognize this office. Perhaps you know of a church that is elder-led. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to change the polity of this church this morning to all of a sudden we're going to have multiple elders and all of that. But this would be a good proof text for such a way of organizing a church. I only make mention so as that we understand that God does call more than one person to help shepherd in a local church. I served for many years as a youth pastor, as a children's pastor, as an associate pastor. I didn't preach on Sunday mornings, preached every once in a while. But as I look back on that experience, I see that I shepherded 
I, I was kind of a co or a, an assistant shepherd, if you will. I was, I was helping with the head shepherd and caring for that flock and feeding for that flock. Here's my point in all this. God does and will call more than one elder to feed his flock, and we have to have that. If you think about how hard it is in, in real life to care for a flock, or, you know, we don't do sheep around here, we do cattle, right? How hard is it to manage a herd of cattle all by yourself? Anybody testify if you've got 100 plus cattle? That's kind of hard to care for it on your own. You, you need help from somebody from time to time. And so in the, the local church, we should understand the, the, the parallels there. Perhaps every time you hear Jesus' charge to Peter to feed my sheep, to care for the sheep, maybe something burns within you. Maybe your heart burns within you and you're like, hmm, maybe that's a calling I'm missing. I would urge you to spend time in prayer and solitude seeking His will for your life. You might think, well, I'm not qualified to preach from a pulpit. Well, like I said, not all shepherding happens from behind a pulpit. Sometimes it happens in the Sunday school room. Sometimes it happens around the, the coffee table with a friend and an open Bible. Sometimes it, sometimes it just happens in the, in the strangest places. Second of all, understand this if you're saying, I just don't feel qualified to preach from a pulpit. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so, again, I urge you, church, to pray about that. Maybe God is calling you to be an assistant shepherd in the local church. Is he calling you? Next in this job description, you would have what? Responsibilities, wouldn't you? Okay, what does this job entail? Verses 2 through 3 give us, us a list of responsibility, designated responsibilities of the shepherd. I'm going to go kind of backwards here. At the end of verse 3, we see this, that they must be an example. This is the Greek word tupas. I love this word, tupas, which in that day was the word for a model that would be used to make metal images. And so, you know, they used metal money just like we do, little coins. They were a little rougher than what we have. And so when they would make this money, they would have their piece of metal, they would heat it up, and then they would place on top of that money the tupas, the example. Then they would take a hammer, you see where I'm headed with this, and they would forge that image of the tupas into the coin. And it would be Caesar's head or some sort of inscription or perhaps the value uh, of that coin. And so that, that tupas, that example, had to be very strong. It had to hold up to constant pressure. It had to hold up to the heat and the hammering that it would endure. It's a beautiful word picture of what the shepherd can expect but also the expectation of spending time molding others to walk in their relationship with Christ. It might require quite a few blows with a hammer. We're reminded of that proverb, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Well, why do we describe this with suffering and pain, the idea of being an example, the idea of, uh, of molding someone into God's image? Because as we all know, life is messy, isn't it? Life is tough. It's filled with heated moments. It's filled with pressure. 
Sometimes it feels like the hammer is falling on us. If life is messy outside of the church, doesn't it seem reasonable that inside of the church life would be messy? If we're being real, which we need to be, then it's going to be messy. Being made into disciples of Christ is real. It should be. And all of our messiness should come out. And we're just real with each other. We're being made into the image of Christ. That's kind of what a shepherd does. Molds. Is, is an example. Is that hammering effect on individuals. Then he goes on and says that he must be able to shepherd the flock that is among you. The call to shepherd is a call to feed. A call to protect. And a call to care for the sheep. Feeding the sheep means using the word of the Lord as the only sustenance. If we're talking about shepherding God's people, then we must feed them only from God's bread, God's word. That's why the word of God is so important and why we need to know the word of God. That's why I'm so thankful to serve in a church that says, without apology, we believe in God's word and that it is inerrant, it is without error, and it is all that we will base our life upon. It is authoritative, but it is also uh, sustaining for our lives. We need that wonderful food in our lives. I hope you know in five years I've labored in God's Word to bring to you messages I believe He wanted me to bring to you. I've not relied on someone else's messages, not once, nor have I preached from any other book but the Bible. I've prayed over which scriptures to preach and how to preach those scriptures, and I believe the Lord has directed me for our mutual benefit. That's what we're called to do is to feed to feast on God's Word. Some days I come away from here and I'm just spiritually full. Some days I say, I want to dig into that just a little bit more. I want to feed myself a little bit more. In protecting the sheep, the shepherd must keep danger, false teaching, and strife away from the church. There is much that the enemy wants to do in the church. Some pastors and others make mountains out of mohills. I've strived to flatten out the molehills around here and just make it as flat as possible, both figuratively and literally. For five years, I've been battling moles down there in that stinking parsonage yard, and I still can't get rid of those suckers. But that's, I'm getting off the point. But seriously, there is enough strife and trouble in our lives. We don't need to bring it in here. We, listen, there are some hills that are worth dying on, and some hills that are just, we need to level them out. Get the bulldozer, John, and let's level out that hill. All right? That's part of what it means to protect. Some of you are like that. You may not even recognize yourself as a shepherd in this church, but you, you help protect this church. You, one of the things you do is you pray. You pray for this church. You pray for the people in this church. You, you perhaps squelch rumors or gossip. Other things like that. Thank you for being that way. Did you know that you were being like a shepherd? You are. In caring for the sheep, the shepherd must show compassion and mercy. The caring, compassionate shepherd helps lead the lost sheep back home whenever they call for help. If they're injured, he cares for them and tends to them and helps them mend with gentle hands. Sometimes this looks like the pastor making visits, phone calls, Correspondence are just the ministry of presence, however possible. Do you know that some of you are 
shepherding in that way, caring for your fellow church members, going and seeing each other in the hospital or the nursing home, or just giving a phone call. What a wonderful, beautiful picture of shepherding the flock. All the while, the shepherd must remember he is not the owner. To be a shepherd in these times, in the biblical times, was a vocation that required skill, courage, and stamina, but ultimately humility, because they recognized they answered to the owner. And in that is the sense of accountability. That brings a sense of accountability and fear. Because you know who the owner is, right? It's Jesus Christ. He is the owner of First Baptist Church, Colmanil. He is the owner of every church that bears His name. He is the owner of that church. This is not my church. And so I try to never use that kind of a phrase, at my church. No, no. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And I am just His under-shepherd. And that makes me and makes all of us ultimately accountable to Him. So any that might consider harming or defacing or stealing sheep from one flock to another flock should consider that they are not messing with me, who is just merely an under-shepherd, but the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that little phrase, among you, should be a great reminder that our calling is not to go and steal sheep from other flocks. The calling of a shepherd is to help in the painful delivery of laboring for new sheep. It's greater, right, when we have a new baby in the family than instead we go to the neighbor's house and steal their baby. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody wants to do that. No, it's much better that we have our own children. Must exercise oversight. Last little job responsibility in this job description. Must exercise oversight. Being an overseer, as the King James puts it, overseer is one of the terms we generally associate as being in authority over the local church. But in the original language, this Greek really only occurs here in, in one other place in, in the New Testament. And really what it's referring to is someone that just looks over something else or someone else and does it diligently. Again, closely related to the duties assigned to a shepherd. The work of a shepherd, working under the great shepherd, the owner of the flock is that of a steward, a caretaker, and a herder, realizing that he will be held ultimately accountable for any sheep that go astray and that he doesn't care enough about to go and find. So does a church need a pastor? Absolutely. Just as a flock of sheep must have a shepherd. But there's another component brought into this calling that Peter describes as shepherding the flock that is among you. You see, the shepherd is a sheep too. Can I tell you that one of the most humbling things is that as your pastor, I must be submitting myself as well to the shepherd. I must be submitting myself as well to being shepherded. I need to be sure that I see myself in the same light. I am not above you. I am one of you. That God has given the opportunity to feed and care and tend to. You cannot respond. There's, there's another point to this as well. If you read between the lines here, to be a shepherd to those among you, a shepherd must be born again. A shepherd cannot be a shepherd if he is not first a sheep. You cannot respond to the call of God to be God's elder in His church if you have not responded to His call of salvation. You must be in the flock before you can tend the flock. And so the call of the scripture is not just to ministry, but it is to self-reflection. Have you been born again? Or as scripture puts it, 
are you a sheep or are you a goat? The goats and the sheep are separated in those end times. It's an illustration, kids. Don't think you need to go around saying bye or anything like that. What Peter addresses next is what many pastors then and now struggle with. You see, while shepherding is the job description or the job title, and, and the, and the uh, responsibilities are to shepherd the flock and to oversee the flock and to be an example for them, there's some qualifications that must be met for the shepherd. There's some qualifications that must be met in order to oversee. What are these qualifications? Very quickly. Number one, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Simply put, in general terms, the elder must not be lazy. Ministry is an easy place to be lazy. You could sit in your office all day and play video games on your phone, do some reading, maybe make some phone calls, and then go steal somebody else's sermon off of the internet. Apathy plagues the church as much as any other sin, not just the sheep, but in the shepherds as well. When a shepherd is apathetic about the sheep, they wander off, they start following false teaching, they perhaps will eat the wrong things, and they can follow the wrong path. This can lead to harm, it can lead to error, or causing other sheep to be harmed, or erroneous, or even worse yet, can cause a split in the flock. And so a shepherd must not be lazy. A qualification would be that he be hardworking, a self-starter, a self-manager, be able to manage himself. Number two, a shepherd must not be a shepherd for shameful gain. I love the King James word here. It says, filthy lucre. That sounds so cool, doesn't it? Filthy lucre. Is there a way to make money in ministry? Is there a way to make money, uh, money in, in, in working in God's church? Well, I don't have a jet, and I'm not asking for $54 million to buy my third jet. But some have found ways to use ministry, the ministry of shepherding God's people, to swindle money from God's people. Now, to be clear, it's not shameful for an elder or a shepherd to be paid by the church, even a generous uh, uh, salary at that. But there is a line that is crossed when this becomes the main focus of the shepherd. When this becomes, becomes their only motivation. Or worse, when the shepherd robs or manipulates the church out of money that is driven by his own covetousness, his own desire to be like the Joneses, if you will. Which is why the text translates this shameful gain. It's a shame to try to gain for yourselves. Money is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils, is what the Bible says. And it can drive anyone, including pastors, shepherds, to be unethical. And so a qualification for a pastor, shepherd, assistant shepherd, is that he is not greedy, nor does he rob his parishioners, but instead he rely on the Lord and always be ethical in regards to money. Finally, the Bible says that a shepherd must not be domineering over those. Not domineering. The final statement has to do with the elder that is hungry for power. What's real interesting is when I was in seminary, I had one of our professors he warned us. He said, now men, every man in ministry struggles with these three things. Power, money, and women is actually what he said. Peter doesn't point that one out here, but he does point out money and power. There's a real temptation to be domineering. There's a real temptation to manipulate the church into doing what he wants. I already talked about making mountains out of molehills. I've known some pastors that have 
died on hills because they didn't get their way. Almost like a child throwing a temper tantrum. The Greek word here for domineering is literally translated exercising lordship over someone else. It's a word picture that speaks of ownership of a master over his slaves. The King James interprets this phrase not being lords over God's heritage, which is not exactly what the Greek language says, but it captures the picture perfectly. Because listen, as the church, we are the bride of Christ, and we are owned by Jesus Christ. We are His heritage, not the other way around. We are His legacy, not the other way around. And so a pastor must not forget this, that ultimately the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church is Christ, and the pastor shepherds under Christ's authority. Sometimes we use this word, under-shepherd. I've used it a couple times this morning to signify that the pastor is under the head shepherd, Jesus Christ. When I got here five years ago, there was a sign on that office door. It said, Senior Pastor. I didn't put it up there. I didn't ask for it to be put up there. But somebody came into our office one day, somebody who's not a member of this church, and they said, you know, that's not biblical. And I said, I know. I know. But I didn't want to hurt whoever's feelings it was that put it up there. But there is no uh, senior pastor in regards to the local church. There's only one senior pastor, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. I'm just an under-shepherd following his will, following his leadership for my life. And so this job qualification is that the pastor not be power hungry. It is here that we remember the words of Jesus to his disciples that if any of them would be leader, they must first be servant. Servant. So now what? This might be, seem like a, a bit of an awkward subject for me to cover for you, talking about job qualifications and responsibilities and the title of the pastor for the local church, since I am your pastor. But as you know, in five years, I don't shy away from scriptures that we are covering when we're going through books of the Bible. I go through them as they pop up. I don't shy away from them because I believe there's someone here that can learn from this and that we can see God's standard alone for the shepherd in the local church. But also, I wanted to cover this, and I felt led to cover this, because perhaps someone in here this morning has felt this call to ministry. Who has felt this call to serve in the local church. Perhaps someone has felt a tug in their hearts or a burning deep within them about preaching, or about leading, or being an under-shepherd under Jesus Christ. The church, before any place else, must hold up God's standard for serving in His church as an elder shepherd, under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. Because, well, frankly, there's a great need. And there's a day coming when we'll all have to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter says is in verse 4 is that when the chief shepherds appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, most people know when we say that word, the day, we're talking about a day of reckoning, a day that Christ will return. And though he talks about a crown of, re a crown of glory, don't get caught up in that, because that's not what this is about. In fact, what the Bible teaches in Revelation is when we get those crowns and rewards for Jesus, we're going to take them all off and throw them at his feet. We're going, to be so, we're going to be so devastated that we are in front of the Lord God Almighty. We're not going to care about any of the things that we've got on our head or around our necks or anything else. We're going to be so consumed with worshiping Jesus Christ. And, and so there's all kinds of commentaries and sermons about the crowns mentioned. Don't get caught up in that. Understand what, what really is happening is there's coming a day where we'll answer 
And what we're going to answer for is, did we answer his call to serve in the church? Maybe you're feeling that tug on your heart to be a shepherd, to be an assistant shepherd, to be a youth shepherd or a children's shepherd. It doesn't mean that you change your life radically starting today, but is God calling you to that? And then finally, it talks about the need, that first part of verse 5. This message is needed because we need the next generation to respond to the call of God and the call to be above reproach and God's expectations. The one truth that continues on in our time is that we all grow older, don't we? Someday I'll be unable to, uh, to, to pastor. Someday I'll be unable to speak. Who's going to take up that mantle that is left behind? Because the illusion of verse 5 is that there is a younger generation that must be trained. And he says, you who are younger be subject to the elders. That goes on and on and on and on. Generation after generation, there is a younger generation coming up that must be trained. Who's going to train that next generation? And then after that, and then after that, and then after that. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, there's a real shortage of those surrendering to the ministry in the local church. And part of me has got to believe it's because we don't celebrate it like we should. I've known people that are my age and some that are younger that they felt called to ministry, but their parents didn't believe that. And so, or other people in their family would tell them, well, you'll never make money doing that. You want to be a missionary? You'll never make money being a missionary. You want to be a missionary? I'll not pay for your school. When we champion everything else but the local church, no wonder kids don't think it's special to surrender to ministry anymore. When we choose to go to baseball games instead of church, no wonder it's no big deal to serve in the local church. It's better to be an athlete. There's a great need. Not only right now, in 2018, but there'll be a great need coming up. And so we must have someone to train the next generation and the generation after that. What is it that perhaps God is calling you to do? What is it that the Holy Spirit perhaps is laying on your heart? I know for many of you, perhaps this message in the scripture seems out of tune for your life. You don't feel called to pastor. I understand that. I didn't feel it at first either. You know, when I went off to college, I thought I was going to be a music minister. Shepherd a church? Not me. It is amazing what God will do with you when you surrender your life over to Him. And I'm going to tell you, even though it's not the best way to make money, there is no more glorious thing that I would do than to serve in the local church. And if you're feeling that tug in your heart, whether you're, whether you're 6 or 96, there is... Not a time that's too late for you to surrender to that call. Like I said, there's a number of ways to serve the local church. Not just as a pastor, perhaps as an associate pastor, or maybe a youth minister, a children's minister, maybe a missionary. There's Christian camps all over the place. All of these places need people who are surrendered to God's calling on their life. How is the Holy Spirit working on you this morning? How is the Holy Spirit tugging on those heartstrings this morning? We're going to have a time of invitation. I've already put out the call of salvation. We can't serve the church if we're not part of the flock. If we're not one of the sheep who have surrendered their life to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the first call I put out. I put it out about 20 minutes ago. The second call of the 
Holy Spirit is this. Is He tugging on your heart to serve in some way? Is He tugging on your heart to surrender to His church in some way? Listen, this is not about making First Baptist Church Comedil great. This is about making His kingdom great. That's what we're all about here, is making His kingdom, His name great. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray I have not confused too many. Father, I pray that your word has been heard the loudest. And I pray that we would be obedient to how your Holy Spirit is calling us this morning. I thank you for these listening ears and these smiling faces. Lord, may we all be obedient this morning during this invitation. It is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.